Hunter Biden, a man who has documented terabytes worth of his own crimes across at least five criminal categories on at least three different continents, has finally been indicted. Has hell frozen over? Are pigs flying? Oh, contraire, mon frere. It is just business as usual because these charges are nothing but a misdirection. You see, Hunter is not being charged with tax fraud, which he committed, but which could implicate his father. And he isn't being charged with failing to register as a foreign agent, another crime he committed that could also implicate his father. And he isn't being charged with smoking crack and abusing hookers in just about every corner of the globe, crimes that he most certainly committed and which don't directly implicate his father, but which nevertheless reflect quite poorly on the first son and the Biden family. No, no, he's being charged with lying on some paperwork when purchasing a firearm. That is to say, he's charged with making too expansive a use of his Second Amendment rights, rights cherished by Americans since long before the nation's founding and defended especially by Biden's most trenchant critics. He's being charged with the crime least significant, least damaging to his father, and most likely to elicit sympathy. This is not quite the political masterstroke that Biden's DOJ thought it had with that sweetheart plea deal to let Hunter off the hook entirely, which ultimately was undermined by a judge who laughed it out of the courtroom. But this is pretty close. Now, these gun charges do still theoretically carry with them the prospect of something like 25 years in prison. But that's obviously never going to (laughs) happen. Joe Biden will under no circumstances allow his last living son to rot in prison, even if Hunter were somehow convicted. The indictment is a limited hangout to get the heat off the big guy until he makes it through his next election. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Get great meat at a secure price and 25 bucks off your order with code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, today. Dove, the company Dove that makes soap and shampoo, is partnering with a fat liberation activist who hoaxed her way into destroying some poor college girl's life, who has a very, very checkered past. And this is par for the course for liberalism. We'll get to that in a moment. First, though, speaking of prosecutions of leading political figures and their families and associates, Donald Trump will not stand trial next month. You know, I hate to say I told you so. In this case, I really love to say I told you so. It was announced some weeks ago that amid all of these indictments with Trump, Trump was going to stand trial in October of 2023. And I said, that's absolutely preposterous. This was the Georgia prosecutor who was pushing for this speedy trial. I said, what are you talking about? You got the former president, current leader of the opposition. You've got 18 co-defendants on this ridiculous, unprecedented sort of case. You think that you're going to get get your trials together within two months, not a chance in hell. And that's the case. So this is good news for Trump in that he's not going to have to deal with this trial as he 
continues along his way to secure the nomination, which right now looks pretty secure. Now, don't don't shoot the messenger if you like one of the other candidates. I'm just saying right now, Trump's poll numbers not only have remained the same, they've actually gone up a little bit. The latest poll we've got from Fox News shows that Donald Trump is at 60% among Republican primary voters. Trump's at 60. DeSantis, who's the number two guy, is at 13. Uh, Vivek, who has jumped up in the polls, number three guy, close at DeSantis's heels, he's at 11. Nikki Haley has helped herself. She's at five. Pence, three. Scott, three. Christie, two. So that, that's a huge, huge spread. This is a 47-point lead right now for Trump. Uh, but, but also what's interesting is the movement here. So we were told that not showing up to the debate was going to be disastrous for Donald Trump. And you were going to see that the other guys, especially DeSantis, were going to jump up in the polls. And as a result of that, Trump was going to have to show up to the second debate. And I said, yeah, may, look, if, if DeSantis jumps in the polls, then Trump will show up to the second debate. But I actually don't think it's going to hurt him. I think not showing up to the debate is going to help him. And that would appear to be the case. Since August, uh, Trump is now up seven points from where he, in August, he was at 53%, according to this poll. Now he's at 60%. Since August, DeSantis is down three points. Even though he did relatively well, he did fine in the debate, down three points. Vivek is even. So Vivek, some people thought Vivek did really well in the debate. Some people were really turned off by him. So whatever, I guess that shakes out to be he's even with where he was. Nikki has gone up one point. Uh, Pence has gone down two points despite a relatively strong debate performance. Uh, Tim Scott's remained the same. Christie, the croissants, the croissants would seem to be over. That is down one. The other graph I want to point to is not just this one random Fox News poll, but Real Clear Politics' average of all the polls going all the way back to July of last year. This is the primary. And you can see there's some ups and downs a little bit. Trump is up a little bit from where he started last July. DeSantis is down a little bit from where he started last July. And then Vivek jumped up because no one knew who he was before, but still not, he didn't jump up that far. Relative to where he was, he jumped up very far, but relative to the race, he didn't. And But basically, nothing has changed. Nothing, despite the hundreds of millions of dollars raised, despite all of the ads, despite all of the campaign teams assembled, despite all of the canvassing door-to-door, despite all of the online social media operations, rapid response, directing, none of it has mattered (laughs) at all. So I don't, don't shoot the messenger. I'm not saying give up hope. Look, something could happen if you support a DeSantis or a Vivek or one of the other candidates. But Regardless of this race showing you that Trump is just really, really strong or that DeSantis is not as good a candidate as they said he was or Vivek is the game changer or this, that or the other thing, take the candidates out of it for a second. It's just not really a dynamic race. I guess that's the issue. We think it's a dynamic race because you've got this wild, eccentric character in Donald Trump, who's being indicted as a former president and leader of the opposition for the first time ever. Oh my goodness, four indictments all over the country. This is crazy. We've never seen anything like it. And then we've got Ron DeSantis, this very strong, very popular governor in Florida, who's taking the Republican Party in some ways in a new direction, and or at least building on the previous president, Donald Trump. And then you got this guy, oh man, it's going to be so dynamic. 10 candidates, isn't this? No, it's not. It's not. Because 
the leader of the pack is running effectively, practically, mostly as an incumbent. And so the race is going to be more dynamic than George Bush's primary primary race, which essentially didn't exist in 2004. It's going to be more dynamic than Barack Obama's primary race in 2012. But it's going to be much, much less dynamic than any other kind of primary. The the question, if you are one of the other campaigns, or if you're the Trump campaign for that matter, that you've got to ask now is, what could happen to change this graph, which has remained relatively unchanged for 14 months? We got to talk about that. The campaigns are certainly all going to be talking about that. When you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You know a company is looking out for you when they upgrade your service and don't charge you for it. This is great news for new and current Pure Talk customers. Pure Talk just added data to every plan and includes a mobile hotspot with no price increase whatsoever. If you've considered Pure Talk before but haven't made the switch, take a look again for just 20 bucks a month. You will get unlimited talk, text, and now 55-0% more 5G data plus their new mobile hotspot. This is why I love Pure Talk. They're veteran-owned. They only hire the best customer service team. It's located right here in the USA. That alone is worth switching over. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Remember, you vote with how you spend your money, so stop supporting woke wireless companies that don't support you. When you go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, you will save an additional 55-0% off your first month because they value you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk, wireless by Americans for Americans. Elections do matter, though. Elections really, really matter because forget about the politicians now for a second. I want to turn my attention to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has suffered massive layoffs less than two weeks before the anniversary of the uh, decision in Dobbs to overrule Roe v. Wade. This is two weeks before, according to the Boston Globe, uh, more than 100 employees of Planned Parenthood's national staff received notice that they would lose their jobs. Why are they losing their jobs? Is it because donations to Planned Parenthood dried up? No, donations to Planned Parenthood spiked. After Dobbs, that was a major historic fundraising opportunity for Planned Parenthood. They took advantage of it. Every big lib in the country was saying, give your money to Planned Parenthood. So they had the money. But demand cratered. They no longer had the customers. They no longer had quite so many mothers coming in saying, hey, I'm in a desperate situation. And then these predators at Planned Parenthood say, oh, I've got the answer. Murder your baby and give us a little bit of money for it too. We'll we'll do the hit job if you just pay us. That's the problem. It, It was not a matter of funding. It was not a matter of investment. It was a matter of demand, demand totally cratered. And here's what the what the staffers are saying and telling the Boston Globe. Planned Parenthood said the pivot was necessary to meet this moment after Dobbs, but the staffers who requested anonymity due to the sensitivity of the subject matter often described disillusionment with the organization. They included union and non-union workers, some who had been laid off or left for other reasons, as well as some who are still working there. They're, they're disillusioned, you know. Turns out that when you work for an infanticide mill, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, You know, I thought we were working with people with integrity here. I thought we were signing up with high-minded, noble people who make it their mission in life to slaughter the most innocent, vulnerable persons on planet Earth. And then what do you know? They're kind of deceitful. Could you imagine? 
they don't they don't have the strongest moral code those professional murderers of babies the the article goes on planned parenthood struggles with the right level of transparency said another national staffer who was laid off it felt like they were trying to give us a lot of transparency about the process, like we're making this pivot. These are some of the things that are changing. But there wasn't a lot of transparency around like the vision and where things were going based on those changes. Planned Parenthood is so opposed to transparency that they lobby against laws that would make women who are about to murder their babies look at ultrasounds. If you are looking for transparency, I would not recommend looking at Planned Parenthood, the entire business model of which relies on hiding and disguising the fact that your baby is actually a baby. The whole business model relies on on distracting you from seeing what is obviously true so that they can make money and get whatever satanic kicks they get out of murdering little children. You're not going to get transparency there. You're not going to get high-minded idealism. You're not going to get noble comportment and behavior. And now, you're apparently not going to get a job. This is a great story because it proves something that conservatives did not believe for far too long, which is that we, we long have said politics is downstream of culture, the movies in a culture, the music, the art, the, the behavior, the traditions, the rituals, that all matters. Of course, that all matters. But it can be said with just as much seriousness and truth that culture is downstream of politics because the law is a teacher. What happened here? What happened here is not that people got together and they just had a change of heart organically from the culture and society. And so they decided to stop killing their children. It's that the heavy hand of the law came down and made it much more difficult to murder children. And then fewer people did it. That's what happened. You know, sometimes we've been told by the politics is downstream of culture fanatics, the, the, who make an idol out of that concept, that actually if you pass a law, That's not going to change anything at all. No, no, the law doesn't affect behavior. The law doesn't create incentives. No, no, unless the the change in law is motivated by just a change in culture, which springs up organically from the society, then it's not going to have any effect at all. Well, here's proof that that's a lie. That isn't true. You can change the law, even if the culture, which is completely dominated by liberals in Hollywood, in the academy, in lower education, in everything, everywhere, you can change the law and you will still get that effect. Planned Parenthood is still going to have to lay off workers because fewer fewer women are going to show up to murder their babies because the law says so and the law is a teacher. What liberalism does, classical liberalism and libertarianism and modern liberalism and all of its derivations, what it does is it tries to depoliticize everything. So it creates these, these contrasts between, you know, politics and culture, the, the law, the government, and society and free associations. But we live in a republic. We live in government of the people, by the people, for the people, at least in theory. So what's really the difference between those two things? That, that distinction gets a little bit blurry. It gets a lot blurry, actually. And really, the, what that distinction serves to do is, is a, merely a polemical purpose 
to discourage authentic political action and to disguise authentic political action under the guise of it being depoliticized through the economy or just through private business or just through the culture. Do you really believe, this is what some of these people would say. They would say that when Google, Twitter, and Facebook completely dominate the public square and cut out conservatives from speaking and censor all sorts of ordinary things and true things, even right before an election, they censor the Hunter Biden laptop story and it changes the results of the election according to post-election analyses and surveys. But what what these types of people will say is, well, that wasn't a political action. That was just private enterprise. That was just private businesses doing whatever they want to do. That's not political. And if you don't like it, build your own Google, build your own Twitter. What are you talking about? We live in a a self-governing republic. If you can control the, the public square, you control the political order. What Google, Twitter, and Facebook did is intensely political. It's some of the most overt heavy-handed political action I've ever seen in my lifetime, maybe in the history of the United States. And it's even more insidious than some authoritarian government worker doing so because Facebook, Twitter, and Google have even less accountability, even less transparency, and they're not obliged to uphold the principles that we have passed, that our our forebears have passed and ratified into law, the protections of the Constitution, and laws in many cases. Uh Uh-uh. The law is a teacher, baby. It works. And it has real, crucial, urgent effects. It saves hundreds, it's saved hundreds of thousands of babies' lives. There will be hundreds of thousands of people from this year alone who will be born because some justices on the Supreme Court decided to change the law. Culture be damned. No, actually, culture be changed for the better because the culture is affected by the laws. Okay. Speaking of electoral politics, We are losing one of the most controversial, detested, but sometimes lauded, but just very confusing political figures. Mitt Romney. I've spent my last 25 years in public service of one kind or another. At the end of another term, I'd be in my mid-80s. Frankly, it's time for a new generation of leaders. They're the ones that need to make the decisions that will shape the world they will be living in. Now, we face critical challenges, mounting national debt, climate change, and the ambitious authoritarians of Russia and China. Neither President Biden nor former President Trump are leading their party to confront those issues. You know my views on Mitt Romney. See, he seems like a nice enough guy. But he's a liberal Republican. Mitt Romney runs for Senate against Ted Kennedy in Massachusetts. And he says, I I was an independent during the time of Reagan Bush. I don't support Reagan Bush. I'm not. Stop lumping me in with Ronald Reagan. And then he loses that race. And he goes on and he runs for governor of Massachusetts and wins that and invents Obamacare. And then he runs for president on not a great campaign. Then he decides to run for well, he doesn't decide to run against Trump in 2016. He entertained the thought of running, but he he was pretty active as a never-Trumper and trying to kill the Republican ticket that year. Then he runs for Senate in another state. He wins. He's a big lib in the Senate. Okay, I've got problems with his career. And yet, got to say, folks, he's totally right with what he just said. He's totally right when he says we need a new generation of conservative leaders. 
You know me. I'm not, like some of my friends and colleagues, I'm not one to mock people for being old. I don't think that we need age limits for government office. I think we we have the, the only limit we need, which is the ballot box, when the ballot box works effectively. Uh, I'm, I, I think that generally older people are wiser than younger people. I don't, I, however, we do need a new generation of leaders. The boomers have been hanging on for a very, very long time, a disproportionately long time compared to past generations. When the sea change happens, it's going to be more radical the longer this goes on. And uh, that does threaten the stability of the country. And also, we have seen in the one country in the West that has been able to affect real conservative policies and stop some of those pressing issues, the migration crisis being right there up toward the top of them, and also to turn around the birth rate problem, which is the crisis as a matter of policy in our civilization. That country is a young government. Okay, you need a new generation because while the the previous uh, views and talking points and ideologies, maybe they served a purpose for their time. Maybe they did some good stuff in their time. I'm not knocking the prior generations, but now we've got we've got new problems and young people. You even see them popping up in, in the Senate. They've got new solutions, applying eternal principles to new circumstances. That's great. The irony of this is what Mitt Romney is saying here is we need a new generation of conservative leaders. But then he goes on to attack all the young conservatives. (laughs) He attacks J.D. Vance. He attacks Josh Hawley. He attacks Ted Cruz. He he attacks the people who actually are younger and and are much uh, more effective, I think, in in their vision for the country. So Romney, personally, he's still got a lot of problems in his his understanding of politics. But on this point, Mitt is totally right. Speaking of younger, when you want to look younger, you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. As you might know, we are big fans of our friends over at GenuCell, especially the founder, who's a Coptic Christian from Egypt who fled and came over here for the American dream. Their product is fabulous. Don't take my word for it. Ella from Rockford says, quote, I have both age and acne spots, and this stuff is actually fading, both of them. This serum is worth every penny. Ella is raving about the famous dark spot corrector from GenuCell, a must-have after months of record heat and humidity. Sunspots, brown spots, discoloration, even red inflamed patches all disappear in front of your very eyes. Here's the GenuCell amazing guarantee. You will see results on day one for your money back. If it happens on day two, you can get your money back. Take advantage of GenuCell's most popular package, which now includes the Dark Spot Corrector plus the classic GenuCell eye bags and puffiness treatment with immediate effects. All at about 70, 70% off. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Start looking years, even decades younger tomorrow. Say goodbye to dark and liver spots, bags and puffiness under the eyes, and crow's feet at GenuCell.com slash Knowles. That is GenuCell.com slash Knowles. My favorite comment yesterday is from Billy Mays, one. Billy Mays here, who says, if Michael ever ran for POTUS, he would have my vote. No doubt about it. America needs to be safe. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. There's a little wrinkle here, which is that I am currently too young to run for president. I would be constitutionally ineligible in 2024. The first time that I would be even eligible constitutionally will be 2028. But if Republicans lose this election, then we, of course, will be in the gulags by that time. So I suppose I could run for president of the gulags. It's like it's like running for class president, but in prison. And it, maybe I will do that. And if I do, I appreciate your support and I appreciate your, your vote. Speaking of young people, 
Dove, the soap company, has just partnered with a young activist. And this young activist's name is Ziana Bryant. And if you've heard that name before, you might vaguely remember this person. It's because she made a little bit of a name for herself by ruining a young white student's life over a misheard remark at some BLM protest in 2020. So there was some mostly mostly peaceful, extremely fiery BLM protest. And this gal, Ziana Bryant, who is black, said that she heard this, this young woman uh, say that the protesters would make good effing speed bumps. That never happened. There were investigations into this. There was zero evidence. There is significant evidence that this Ziana Bryant just completely made it up. There was no evidence that this young gal, this UVA student, Morgan Benninger, ever said anything even like that. But it didn't matter because the damage was done. Falsehood flies while the truth is getting out of bed. So over a year, years of this young gal's life were ruined by this cynical activist, Diana Bryant, who was lying. And now she's got an, a new object of her activism. It's no longer BLM and mostly peaceful riots and looting and burning the country down. Now she is a fat phobia activist, and she's being rewarded for that with presumably a bunch of money and fame by Dove. My belief is that we should be centering the voices and experiences of the most marginalized people and communities at all times. So when I think about what fat liberation looks like to me, it looks like centering the voices and the experiences of those who live in and who maneuver through spaces and institutions in a fat body. It looks like making accessible spaces and having conversations that are aware of the fact that people have different bodies and that they are interacting with space and people and institutions and communities in a different way. Fat liberation looks like fully embracing those differences and having those conversations instead of shying away from them. To learn more about fat liberation and the campaign for size freedom that Dove is supporting, visit dove.com forward slash size freedom. Tap in, join the campaign, support the campaign. This is important and we should all be talking about it. Okay, I'm not going to make fun of fat liberation and I'm not going to make fun of even Dove so much here. I want to focus on something one word that that woman said, and she said it multiple times, conversation. This is what liberalism does. For liberalism, the highest point of politics is not doing anything. It's not changing anything. It's not achieving a concrete objective. It's just having endless conversations. When you hear a political figure say, we need a conversation, we need a national conversation on race, we need a conversation on our democracy, I think it's time that we just, it's so important that we have conversations about the ability to have conversations while conversing about the significance of conversations. That's what politics is all about. When you hear that kind of talk, you know that you are, one, hearing from a liberal, and two, being deceived. You're hearing from someone who wittingly or unwillingly is, is deceiving you because endless conversations don't do anything in politics. And in politics, things have to get done. Decisions have to be made. Policies have to be implemented. People have to get in line. 
But that is contrary to the open, free-floating, conversational language of liberalism, man. And so what happens in practice is that the liberals, who ostensibly want to depoliticize everything, stop coming to firm, rigid conclusions, just kind of keep the conversation open, man. What they end up doing is they end up partnering with people who are decidedly illiberal to usually secretly uh, implement their agenda. This is why the liberals always go soft on Antifa. Antifa doesn't want to have conversations. When Antifa shows up to your event, they're not there to talk, okay? They're there to crack some skulls and throw explosives at the venue and kill people if they can. BLM doesn't want to talk. BLM doesn't want to have conversations. BLM wants to steal the microphone, shout their propaganda, then cut the mic and start looting stores and shaking down businesses and seizing power and, oh, also killing people. <laughs> that's, that's what those groups want to do. And the liberals can pay lip service to how this has gone too far. And we don't like, we don't, we would never do this. But they fund those groups. They bail those groups out of jail. When, when the BLM rioters finally did get arrested on occasion, Kamala Harris bailed them out of jail. She didn't bail out the peaceful protesters. She bailed out the rioters who committed crimes. Joe Biden's staff did the, the same thing. They raised money to bail these criminals out of prison because the illiberal forces, the hard leftists and Antifa and BLM and outright communists and outright anarchists, they do the dirty work for the liberals. And the liberals get to pretend that they're above politics. No, no, we don't, we, don't under, we, don't, we don't view politics as a distinction between friends and enemies. We don't want to force anybody to go along with our program. We just want to be open and conversational. But if you don't go along with our program, Antifa's going to show up at your door. Oh, but they're not us. No, we're totally different. But hey, Antifa, when you do show up and crack some skulls, you're not going to be punished for it. That, that is such a deception. Even the very fact that liberalism says, we just have the economic sphere, we just have the social sphere, we have the civil society. That's not political. That's not politics and electoral offices and laws. No, it's just the free market and the free conversation. And then meanwhile, what Dove partners up with these radical activists who, who are not there to talk to you. Do not Beware, beware the endless conversation. You know, when Dr. Jordan B. Peterson made the decision to join the LAR Plus, it was a major win for those who champion intellectual debate. With one year of unparalleled output, his contributions have set new standards and remain unmatched by any other platform. The LAR Plus now has a vast array of exclusive Jordan Peterson content, offering hundreds of hours of captivating content you won't find anywhere else. Jordan has created thought-provoking works that reshape your perspective on life, which include vision and destiny, marriage and dragons, monsters and men. And because there are so many topics, sometimes the commas and the ands get confusing. I don't even know how many shows that is. Additionally, you can immerse yourself in discussions that nurture your spiritual side like Logos and Literacy in Jordan's groundbreaking series on the book of Exodus. That's only the beginning. I have not even mentioned his Beyond Order lecture series. Well, I guess now I just did mention it. I haven't even mentioned his extensive archive of lectures and podcasts until now. I just did mention that. This is the absolute compendium of all things Jordan. Plus, there's even more exclusive content on the horizon. This is only the beginning. Become a Daily Wire Plus member. You will embark on an unforgettable experience that will fuel your thirst for knowledge and inspire personal growth like never before. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Become a member today. Finally, finally, 
we've arrived at my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. This mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save an additional 50%, 50% off your first month. Take it away. Hello there, Puff Daddy. Uh, John here with a question for the Daily Wire love guru. Uh, earlier this summer, I met this fantastic young lady, and she and I have really hit it off. Um, just one example of something we have in common. You know, both of our older brothers are priests, and they were actually ordained together. So she and I were actually at the same ordination years ago before we ever actually met each other, which is small world. Um, anyway, I live in Alaska, and she's Mexican, and I've been down there to visit her once already, and it went great. Um, I'm just a little worried now that you know the powers that be are starting to foist the pestilence upon us again. Um, I managed to dodge the jab last time around, but I'm a little worried now, like, what if they make the jab a requirement for international travel? Um... I'm not sure how I would handle that situation, and I'm wondering how you would. Um, so what would you do if you were in my shoes and you had to face that situation? All right, thank you. First of all, stop worrying. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at them. More resplendent than Solomon in all of his glory. Yes, they're trying to do COVID again to rig the 2024 election. I think it's true. I know. I'll probably get in trouble with Media Matters for saying that, but it's just so obviously true that they're doing that now. Uh, but there's no evidence that they're going to implement these the uh, travel restrictions. So I, I wouldn't worry. Just keep, keep your courtship going and see how it goes. Uh, but be prepared for the hypothetical. What would you do in that case? In that case, I would exercise prudence is what I would do. The first question you have to answer is, do you find the jab morally acceptable to take on its own? Because all of the jabs, to my knowledge, that are out there were at least developed and potentially produced with cells that were derived from aborted babies. The bishops, you're Catholic, it sounds, uh, the bishops have said that it is morally licit. Some of them have even pushed the jab on people. Uh, So, you know, that's what the authority of the church is saying about this issue. And I think you could receive the jab basically with a clean conscience because the authorities, the successors to the apostles have said so. However, it is a remote cooperation with evil. There's no getting around that. And so maybe your conscience would bother you. Maybe that would keep you up at night. First, decide on that. Are you willing as a moral matter to take the jab? Then you've got the secondary question, which is, Well, I don't think the jab is good for me. Yeah, fair enough. It probably isn't. Uh, I don't think that I need the jab. Yeah, you sound like a young guy. You don't need the jab. Well, I don't, I don't like to be bullied by these governments and by these apparatchiks who are, who are insisting on this jab contrary to science and good political philosophy and medical ethics and all the rest. Yeah, fair enough. But if you've gotten past the moral question of, okay, I think it would be morally acceptable for me to take this jab, even though it is a remote cooperation with evil, then I, I think that's the biggest hurdle. Because you think about this girl, you're, maybe you marry her someday. Would you take a bullet for the girl? If you're going to marry her, probably you would. Okay, well, if you're going to take a bullet, you'd probably take the poison Fauci ouchie too, even if the worst case scenario happened. So I, I wouldn't focus on the political issue. I, I would just focus on the moral issue. Do you think it is morally licit to take this particular jab for the specific reason that it was derived from uh, cells that came from aborted babies. 
That's the issue. All the, the, the risk to your personal health, the irritation that the governments are forcing you to do that, to me, that is very, very secondary and uh, should be taken into proportion with your care for this gal. Okay, next question. Hey, Mike. Uh, do you think that the libs bringing back COVID will have a significant impact on the landscape of the Republican primary? Uh, particularly for Ron DeSantis, since shifting focus back to COVID will enable him to highlight his achievements in Florida uh, and point to Donald Trump's decision to turn the country over to Dr. Fauci. Curious on your thoughts. It's his best shot by far. If you are on the DeSantis campaign, from the perspective strictly of self-interest, you have got to be praying (laughs) that Fauci comes back and that the COVID lockdowns go back into effect because If you look at this chart here, nothing really has changed. In as much as there has been any change, DeSantis spiked and then he fell down. But if you look where he began and where he is now, he's just down a little bit from where he was. Trump is just up a little bit from where he was. I don't see very much changing the race. The the race in the circumstances of this indictment or this mugshot or this, that, or the other thing seems so dynamic already. And even with this dynamism, the race is totally flat. So that's the only shot that DeSantis has. But just looking how nothing has changed basically for any of the candidates in well over a year, I I wouldn't put my money on that changing. But, But if there is a shot for DeSantis, it is that one. And DeSantis would be crazy not to hammer him for it. The problem for DeSantis is he peaked too soon. So he peaked during COVID and everyone loved him during COVID and they were all talking about him as a potential presidential nominee, but people's memories are so, so short. So you would have to remind people of it and and COVID could help him. Even then though, I just think the race is stabilized enough. It's, I, I wouldn't predict that it would make much of a difference. Next question. Hi, Mr. Knowles. This is Abby A. from the chat. My question for you is in regards to college. Because I'm homeschooled, I have a really big jumpstart on my school. This will be considered my senior year of high school, and next year I will be eligible to start dual enrollment. Once my two years are up, I have it planned out that I will have accumulated around 60 college credits. If I were to continue on the next two years, I would have a bachelor's degree in finance shortly after I turn 19. My question is, is it worth spending the time and money to complete my degree if all I want to do is be a stay-at-home mom and raise a family? My dad says I have to have a backup plan in case something happens to my husband and I need to have a way to support my family. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, love the show, and keep up the good work. I generally discourage people who are not sold on going to college from going to college. I am not one of these conservatives. Many conservatives will say, oh, don't go to college at all. It's totally bunk. No, if you are drawn to go to college and you want to go for the right reasons, I encourage that. I'm certainly not one of these conservatives who says, if you do go to college, you should major in some practical degree, like a STEM or something, parts of STEM, like engineering or some. I, I totally disagree with that. The point of university education is to get a liberal education. It's not to do job training. You can do job training whenever later on down the line. The point of a university education is to do things that are completely not practical at all, to just cultivate your uh, rational will and to uh, read dusty old books that will help you to see the world more clearly. Um, in your case, you're saying you would want to get this degree for a practical purpose. You're not particularly drawn to it. But because of the way your schooling has already worked, you would, you would essentially get a college degree in one year. I, I don't know. Are you engaged to be married right now? If you are engaged to be married and your husband is, I don't know, he's in the Navy or something and you're going to 
get married and then he's going to deploy and you're going to move all over the country and it would make going to college very, very difficult, then maybe, okay, maybe you get married and just start having kids, whatever. If you're not engaged to be married, though, if you don't have the prospect of this wedding anytime soon and, and you've just got a year where you don't know exactly what you're going to do with it, I don't see why not. I don't, I don't think it's bad to have a backup plan. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put off the life that you want to live for this life that liberal modernity pushes you into or so that you have a plan B. But it doesn't sound like you would be pushing off that life. Some people do. Some people push it off four years of college, then maybe a couple years of, an, of a higher degree or even a PhD, and then a long time of a career, and then they don't even start thinking about settling down until they're 30. That's not the situation you're in. So practically, I don't know, if you're not doing anything else with the year, might as well pick up a finance degree. Next question. Hey, Michael, it's Camille again. And yes, I'm still single. And before you say, just take my advice and settle, I need you to understand that I have been trying, Michael. It's not for lack of trying. And no, I'm not out there desperate. And no, I'm not out there picky. Everyone says that when a girl who is still single and 29 is just picky, that just is not the case. These quality of men is just not that high. So I need some advice. Like, how do I actually find someone I like. And I swear, if you tell me to settle, I may have to unsubscribe and change my badge. I, I might have to do it. So please give me any good advice where I can find a guy to settle down and not settle. You need to go to the places where the men that you want to marry will be. And then you need to be the sort of person who would be married by the men you want to marry. Both of those things are very important. And I'm not saying you can't be that person, and I'm not saying you don't know where those places are, but I think if you have those two ingredients, that's going to help. So I've got, I have a great deal of sympathy here. I don't want to sound like I'm being too harsh. But are you, are you going to church? Maybe you don't believe in God or something. Okay. Well, if you don't if you don't believe in God or if you don't practice religion, then you're you're probably not going to meet a guy who does believe in God and does practice religion. And the kind of guy you want to marry is the kind of guy who ha- has religion. So right right there off the bat, that's going to be a problem for you. If you are not regularly a- attending church and doing these sorts of things, you're not going to be in the place with those kind of guys that you want to meet. And you're not going to be the kind of person that those guys are going to want to marry. That's the f- first step right off the bat. Are you? What are you doing in your free time? How are you even going about meeting these men? Are you just going on dating apps? Or are you just like going to the bar? Or are you just going out, you know, to the downtown pubs or something, or nightclubs? Or, or are you talking to friends and saying, hey, can you set me up with this person? What kind of friends are you talking to? To, to set you up? Are you talking to married, stable, normal friends who are who have already figured this stuff out? Or are you just spending time hanging out with your girlfriends who are in the same boat that you are? Which is it? I, I don't know your situation, Camille, but I do know that I've had many female friends who have been in this situation and they've turned it around. But they, they, the way that they've turned it around is not by continuing to do the same thing over and over again, saying there's just no guys out there. There are guys out there. But are you going to the places where they are? And if you do go to where they are, that's, the, that's a big first step. Are you the kind of person that they would want to marry? 
Men are not nearly as shallow as we are told that we are. You know, we've got red blood. We like nice looking ladies. We, you know, we, we like all of those things. But when men think about getting married, dating for marriage, they're thinking about, is this someone I want to live with for the rest of my life? Even after all of our looks, everyone's looks are going to fade at some point. Is this someone I want to be with? Is this someone I want to raise my children? Is this someone who sees the world in the same way that I do? And sometimes, for some of my friends who have dealt with this, they have continued to live like big libs. They have continued to see the world, actually, as big libs. But then they say, I want to marry a guy who's a good, strong, traditional, conservative, normal, a good husband type. Well, that's not going to happen. You've, you've got to be the sort of person and do the sort of things that would attract that person, which you can do. It's not that hard. It doesn't require a magic spell. You just got to do kind of basic stuff. And that will start to, what that will start to do is not only a value of the opportunity to meet these guys, it will change your desire. It will begin to turn your desire toward men who maybe right now you are not attracted to. Maybe you're still attracted to the big jerk idiot bad boys even though you say that you're not. A lot of women, they just are. They just continue to be like that. Your desires will start to change and you'll be more attracted to the guys for whom you right now are suggesting you might have to settle. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss this. Become a member. Use code Knowles, Canada, WLAS at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Where's my iPad?